This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Playoffs. Hello and welcome to NL Playoffs. My name is Gautam. I have with me my co-host Aniket. Aniket say hi. Hello everyone. So this is a brand new podcast offering uh, from the News Laundry Staple. Uh, this is going to be a sports-based podcast. Uh, and what we hope to do is that we want this to be a subscriber-driven podcast. So to kind of give you some background, first of all, both myself and Aniket are News Laundry subscribers and we actually met through one of the WhatsApp groups uh, that was created way back in the day for the US group. So we, that's how we connected. So Aniket, what I think we should probably start with what we hope to do for this podcast. Yeah, thanks, Gautam. So the goal is basically to cover current events in sports, maybe take a dive down many lane, you know, and open the time machine and look at some historic sporting events, uh, as in when time allows. But the larger agenda is to engage the subscriber base in sports and in the world of sports. And my personal goal is to uh, learn something. So to leverage this platform, to learn from the news runner subscribers, to learn from you and the NL community in general. So that's my goal and that's what uh, we intend for. But you can add something that you want to take away from this. No, for sure. And also, as Aniket said, when we say that this, we want this to be a subscriber-driven podcast, we mean that we really, really want to hear from all of you who are listening to this podcast. So please do write into us every week or whenever we record this. We would highly encourage you to write into us, to review us, to give us some feedback, positive, negative, but hopefully constructive. We'd also like to hear from you on what you'd like to see us cover during uh, this podcast as we keep moving. So given uh, what our agenda we have, I know we had a terrific uh, sporting week and a weekend, Aniket. So what we are going to do today is to uh, discuss what happened at the Euro 2020 slash 21 final between England and Italy. But what we'd first like to do is to kind of see what happened in the world of sport in general and with some you know, big uh, headlines that happened over the week. So, Aniket, I think, you do you want to run us through the headlines real quick? So, let me first start. So, we had tennis, the Wimbledon that took place. So, Novak Djokovic from Serbia beats Matteo Berrettini at the Wimbledon final. And he's now holding 20 Grand Slam wins, which equals uh, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. So, he's in the books of the all-time greats. The rise of Djokovic has been kind of amazing, Aniket. Do you know how many Grand Slams he had in the year 2010? He had one. Right. In 2010, he had one Grand Slam. And now... In the next 10 or 11 years, he has won 19 more. It's insane what he's doing. He's on course to uh, achieving a, a calendar slam this year. And then there's all obviously the Olympics. So he might actually get the Olympic gold as well as the uh, the calendar slam this year. It's called the Golden Slam, right? Yeah, the Golden Slam. He wins the gold for the uh, the Olympics. So it's kind of unbelievable. He looks pretty much unbeatable right now. Uh, Berrettini tried his luck. I know he, he, should never, he should have never won the first set, but he won. But after that, it was all Djokovic. Yeah, and I fear he's going to overtake Federer in his record books for sure. Uh, the way things are going, I'm not. I'm not going to fear that anymore. He's going to overtake him, no matter what. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that hurts when you say it like that, but yeah. So that being said, let's go to the women's Wimbledon. So Ashley Barty won her second Grand Slam title here uh, at the Wimbledon. She also played for the Women's Big Bash League in Brisbane for the Brisbane Heat in 2015. So she was 
also in cricket as you told me i had no idea about this but this is very interesting to know so she's a two time grand slam winner in tennis and she played professional cricket wow so i was just looking up and i watched some videos as well uh, of her playing for the brisbane heat in the women's big bash league so she wanted to take a break apparently in 2015 for a couple of years so she moved on to team sport i guess that's how good she was that she was just able to transition from one sport to another and just be so good at another sport kind of crazy so another sad news for the roger federer fans out there so roger federer has pulled out from the olympics after a knee injury setback so that's what we have from the world of tennis so let's go on to gotham a sport that's very close to you basketball so the nba finals are going on the milwaukee bucks are playing the phoenix suns and the score is 1-2 in favor of the suns right now the fourth game is supposed to happen tomorrow as we record Also the US basketball team is going into the Olympics and there are some waves going on there because they got they had a shock defeat to Nigeria in the Olympics tune up which is basically an exhibition match but nevertheless it seemed to send uh, shock waves all around the basketball world you want to add something to that dude i did not watch the game but it was kind of a shock that they lost nigeria and then they played australia actually uh, i think it was two days later when they played australia and then lost to australia again i mean australia has a decent team with some uh, decent nba players like patty mills and uh, joe ingles and all those guys but i mean it's an exhibition match they're feeling each other out us is they're not the best constructed roster in the world or that the us basketball has ever seen but still has a lot of uh, star players packed in so uh, they can beat in all they want during the uh, olympic run up but once i think the olympics actually start i think they'll be fine it'll still be a major upset if they end up not winning the gold medal so we have the olympics starting from 23 july to 8th of august 2021 and it's going to be held in japan and we have the indian contingent ready to go so all the best to the indian contingent and i think even the prime minister of india wished them recently all the best so i hope they do well and make us all proud we'll be proud nevertheless but it'll be good to have some medals back home yeah dude they win some more medals this time in wrestling and shooting i know that's the those are the major events that we've always done well but uh deepika kumari uh, at anachri she's been excellent she won the world title recently so hopefully uh she bags home a medal hopefully the gold medal man she's pretty good at what she does I remember watching her in the last olympics she's she's pretty good she just missed out on uh, a medal last time so hopefully now that she is seems to be on a prime hopefully she'll bag a gold medal but anyway we'll we'll cover more of that i'm sure as the olympics start Yeah and there's also hope from the Indian javelin thrower Neeraj Sharma so he seems to be promising in what he's doing so yeah all the best and more power to all of them so with that let's go to another sport that's very close to me it's formula 1 just to wrap up we didn't have a race this weekend but red bull and max verstappen are leading the drivers and constructors championship so they seem to be pushing mercedes benz to and lewis hamilton the seven time world champion who's equaled michael schumacher's record to the edge so we can now see that the mercedes team who were extremely dominant for the past 6 seasons are under pressure and it's a very interesting season this year i think max verstappen is going to win it this year i think he has a clear red bull has a better car this year than mercedes and he's cashing in at this point i know uh, hamilton has been uh, whining a little bit here and there that he does not have a good car and is complaining and all of that but hey he had the best car on the circuit of the last what 7 years or so now and that's right that's so, right i mean he really can't complain right now i think so he's fine max verstappen i think is going to win it he's promising super exciting and the red bull have really taken that fight 
to Mercedes this year. So that's very good to know because otherwise it's been the fights between the two Mercedes driver and Lewis Hamilton has been coming on top. So it's good to see youngsters fighting. Yeah, I know that Toto Wolff, the is he the president of Mercedes? Uh, he's come out and said that they're not going to look at making any improvements this year on their car. I think he's pushing all of his chips into next year, um, based off based on what his his comments were to the press. But looks like, I mean, externally they won't say it. I think they're probably okay with the car that they have, and they're probably okay with finishing second this year. Yeah, so there's actually a lot of uh, information coming on that. From there's mind games going on. So Wolf says one thing, his deputy comes out and says, "No, no, we are actually trying to improve this car." So yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty going on. It's also, I think, mind games just to set the bar low, I guess, or it's called sandbagging, like they call they're sandbagging. But that's from the world of Formula One. And now moving to what interests us and what's going to be driving this podcast today is basically football. I would like to first start with that the Indian Super League is set to feature in FIFA 2022. So I'm excited about that. So that's some news for India. I did see a couple of Indian Super League games and they were pretty exciting. So by the way, have you ever played with uh, India? Have you ever played FIFA and have, have you ever played with India on FIFA? I have played with India and I have got beat with India too. So somebody beat me while playing using India. So yeah. <laughs> Well, more power to uh, Sunil Chetri, man. I hope he uh, he gets a decent rating in FIFA. The f- he's the fourth highest goal scorer in the world right now, active players. So that'd be great. Yeah. So that's from the Indian uh, thing, but uh, they were winners in both South America and Europe. So coming to the Copa America, we had Messi and Argentina. Finally, Messi picks his uh, national trophy after a long, long battle with his national teams. Argentina are champions of South America. Argentina crowd around Lionel Messi. The world's greatest player finally has an international trophy. There can be no more arguments. Tell you what, the listeners can't see it, but Aniket was, uh, had his both fists up in the air when he said Messi won. Yeah, I've I've been wanting this for him, wishing this for him for a long time. And so just to give context, the uh, Copa America was played in Brazil and the final was between Argentina and Brazil. So Brazil was playing at home. Brazil, of course, had Neymar and 10 other brilliant players. But the Argentina won 1-0 in the finals from a actually a very nice goal from Angel Di Maria. Argentina just struggling to find a way through, but it's a long direct ball and Di Maria's in behind. Di Maria, Di Maria over the goalkeeper. Di Maria gives Argentina the lead. 21 minutes gone, and Angel Di Maria puts Argentina ahead in the Copa America final. I really enjoyed that goal. I know it came off a defensive error. They should have cleared that ball out, but he slipped. But that chip was pretty neat. I love uh, Angel Di Maria. Di Maria, by the way, I was watching some of the Copa America games. He did not start in any of those games, I think. He, this was the first start he had, and that was in the final. They, he kept coming off the bench. I don't think he had an injury or any other niggle either. So, I don't know why he came off the bench. Starting him in the final, I think, was a great choice, clearly. Yeah, and it worked out well, at least. It took the trophy home to Argentina. It looks like it was also a very um, rough-and-tumble game, a lot of fouls. I think we were just were talking about this before we recorded. I think there were over 42 or 43 fouls in, in yeah. the final. So I'm sure there is a lot of, uh, as the British call it, a lot of shithousery. In other words, a lot of diving, faking, and intentional fouling and all of that. Yeah, this final did have, I think, all of that. But then again, so from here we move on to Euros. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. So in the Euro finals... Italy played at England's home in the Wembley Stadium and Italy took the 
European trophy to Rome uh, and it was decided in penalties so we have something very exciting which would be this game and and what has happened after the game so we will basically touch upon the as- various aspects of what went into the finals and then what actually happened in the days that follow yeah so let's 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 uh, talk about the euro final and and as aniket just said uh, italy came up on the winning side aniket is there a is there a worse way to lose final than a penalty shootout like i told you this offline that i didn't want that game to go into the penalties right and yeah so there's a lot of talk about how penalties is in football is like the russian rule i don't agree because there is technique there is skill involved in here so let's not take that away but i'm guessing it's i don't know until we have something better i guess this is the best way to decide tie okay so i'm going to come to an interesting fact here so did you know that italy in 1970 I don't remember the exact year but I think it was 1974 decided a semi final on a toss coin toss did you know that I think I've heard of it before but I don't know the exact details Yeah so it was a basically a game between Italy and Soviet Union and this was in 1968 sorry uh, I'm stand corrected and it was semi final in 1968 Euros where played between Italy and Soviet Union the game was actually a nil nil draw and then to decide the game this was after extra time and then to decide the game there were two uf officials accompanied by the captains and then they basically flipped a coin and the italy captain called right to move ahead so i think penalties is a better way to decide the game rather than a coin toss but that's where we stand yeah i think there are a lot of uh, some people talk about having more extra times and until a goal is scored i think it, it football is a physically demanding game uh, it's 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 just going to be too much for the players So that being said let's talk about the final between England and Italy so the trophy was supposed to come home to England it was in their backyard it was the game was being played at Wembley i think going into the game uh, they were pretty evenly matched because i think italy was the better side because the team of the tournament coming into the final anyway but i think just by the virtue of uh, england playing at wembley i think the odds were slightly in their favor so i think they were pretty much going into the final they were evenly matched uh, i mean the both the marriages went in with uh, uh, the expected lineup the uh, interestingly england went with uh, 3421 formation or 353 formation however you can call it with the three at the back with maguire stones and kyle walker and then having those wing backs on left and right luke shaw and kieran trippier i think that that was a good ploy because you could see the result immediately in the second minute of the game and luke shaw scored off of kieran trippier's cross i believe so immediately those two wing backs came into play because they had three at the back the wing backs had the luxury to go as forward as possible because they had that defense at the back so i think the direct result of luke shaw's goal in the second minute of the game a fantastic start here shaw they've got it his first goal for england and what a time to get it the man who's come back into the fold almost ruled out totally by gareth southgate luke shaw because you bring up the formation which was i think they played 352 and with pickford at the goal yeah so the idea was like you said so having three at the back i think gareth southgate started moving to this in 2018 when he was coming for uh, the world cup before that he used to play the standard four at the back but it does give them actually a lot of options the three center backs can actually play it to either of the five or you know one among themselves and it helps get rid of a press so when the team is pressing on you you can always create space what i found super interesting was how england started this game they started it so unlike england and i believe this is an opinion again that it was their tactic 
of you know going at it in the first two minutes that actually helped score. And from there on, I think it was suicide. The way they played from there on uh, was just absolute. And I think this was more than two teams. I thought this was a game between two managers. So I, I, I don't see it as 11 players, but I saw it as a game of like two sets of tactics, one by Roberto Mancini, who's coaching the Italian team, and Gareth Southgate, who is now working with the, who's the coach of the head coach of the English team. So do you want to add something to that, Gotham? Uh, no, but yeah, you are right because... Once England, I think all they were looking for was to score a goal. That was all that they were looking for. Once they scored the goal, they just hung back. I think that is typical of England and Gareth Southgate. I think Gareth Southgate is not a, a, an attacking-minded manager. He is a conservative manager, so to speak. If he has, especially if you look at uh, some of his earlier uh, uh, selections, he, he does not. He's not a big fan of Phil Foden, I don't think. But he really likes Saka because I think Saka does have give you the option to track back on defense. So I think he is a conservative manager, and that kind of mindset made England. I think as soon as they scored the goal, they immediately went from three-five-two to five at the back immediately. Luke Shaw and uh, Trippier were now more like left back and right back instead of a left wing back and right wing back, right? And that opened the door for Italy. You know, once they settled into the the game they were able to make those short intricate passes Jorginho was, Jorginho was able to play through the lines you know how they make those triangle passes one give, give and goes and stuff like that yeah I think that was to their peril Eng- England should have kept playing the natural well shouldn't say natural game but kept playing how they started especially with the crowd behind them exactly and I I couldn't agree more with what you said so there are two things that come to my mind here first like you score a goal and sit back sure that's actually a great tactic it's a great tactic if it's like 75 minutes into the game. Yeah. You know, if you're two minutes, you don't plan to sit back and defend for 88 minutes. Like the odds are stacked against you. I mean, obviously, Gareth, Gareth Southgate has thought about this. You know, I'm, I've am i never played professional football. I, you know, it, this means this, my opinion matters for nothing, but it seems so surprising. Like while I was sitting on my television, I was looking at the game and I'm like, dude, if you saw, Italy was actually flabbergasted with the way English started the game like when the goal was scored if you see Di Lorenzo he's basically waving his hand yeah to save the ball and Donnarumma is stuck everyone's confused when you hit your opponent early and you hit your opponent so hard you don't give them 88 minutes in the game to come back like I mean no that's a crime especially with this Italian side because um, they're not the Italy of old this is not the Italy of Cannavaro Nestor and Maldini and Gattuso and all those grind and tumble guys. It's uh, this Italy under Mancini has some flair to it. Has some. Uh, they're always looking to push forward. Or they're always looking to create instead of looking to defend all the time. Right. And when we say that you know uh, England actually were on the back foot, let's be very clear. Up to the half time, actually Harry Kane had one of the best games of his life when he was at number ten, actually falling back. He was just unstoppable, unplayable. And when you have that kind of a momentum, so at least for the first 30 minutes when it seemed England were in control, you know, pressing high, not letting Italy make the passes from the back, it was, it felt like, okay, you know, this is going, this is, they're taking the game to Italy. But then I don't know what's, which switch flipped where. But they just started sitting back and you could actually, if you do a time lapse of this game, you can see Italy build. Like, you know, slow and slow. First, not able to make the simplest of passes. Then, you know, trying to string two passes together, trying to string three passes together. And by the time you're in like the 70th minute, they're playing, like you said, just intricate passes, you know. Kiesa coming in and a lot of stuff happening. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. I that's a question I wish I could ever get an answer to as to what made Gareth Southgate like sit back, especially after opening a game like that. Like when you're opening, your defend your opponent is on the back foot. They seem puzzled to me. Yeah. And why would you give all your earnings back? How good was Kiesa? He was instrumental. I think I will score because initially he was trying to make those runs with the ball. He was dribbling. He's a great dribbler, and he it, it's he gets past uh, defenders pretty easily. And he had a shot. I think he had a couple of shots. He forced a couple of saves from Pickford before the goal. So he was creating chances for Italy, and I think that gave them a lot of self confidence. He also was he started on the right wing, but he kept switching from right to left, and he was do, doing all kinds of things and trying to at the beginning, as you said, when it, Italy was trying to come back into the game. He was he was the main guy who was instrumental in uh, getting them back on track. I regret this that I didn't follow him very closely whenever when he was at Juventus actually, but he's been a find. So at least from my perspective, he's exciting, entertaining, and he's lethal. Like he he can like skip past players. He doesn't go to the ground easily, so he's fast and he's to look. I look forward to now. I might. You know, just follow Syria uh, much more closely just to see what's going to happen with him. Because I was uh, working from home over the last year, wink, wink. Uh, I was I I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, watch a lot of the Champions League last season. Uh, that's when I watched uh, Kiez. I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with what he was doing. He he's a great. I mean, as you said, he was a great find for Juventus, but now in Italy, I think the world is seeing he might actually get a really good uh, contract from somebody if he if he gets transferred i'm sure there'll be offers for him i'm i'm sure juventus are going to try and retain him oh yeah I'm at sure. least the way it's going so far not looking good yeah you're right but as as you said uh, it from england were always looking to be more conservative and trying to defend even there even, even once the goal came it was what 65 65th minute i think the way the second half started uh, the goal was imminent. You know, the goal was coming. You could you could feel it that the goal was coming. Low, flick on. And it's forced in the end from very close range by Leo Bonucci in Italy our level. There have been signs. And England couldn't cope with the set piece. And the veteran defender has made it Italy one, England one at Wembley. After they scored the goal. It was like, will Italy score another goal instead of thinking, will England ever come back? Because England, I don't think in, in at any point in the second half or extra time looked like they were going to score. Yeah. And I want to add something to this. So I was just looking at, you know, the stuff that we had, basically the data about what happened in the game. And I just wanted to tell you, I, coming back to the point again, this was basically Mancini versus Garrett Southgate. So before Italy scores... You see that Ciro Mobile is basically not contributing to the game, right? Because he's the guy who's lighters in the box and finishes from inside the D, but he's not able to contribute. You can see Mancini actually shifts the game by getting Cristiante and Berardi inside. So then you have Chiesa, Cristiante, Berardi, who are actually this trio now. They're mixing and mingling. And obviously, let's not forget uh, Barella. Who is basically, you know, had, I think he had the freedom in a lot of times to go around the park, you know, and be wherever he wants. You could see Mancini mix things up, you know, trying to get Italy back to the game. Gareth Southgate, on the other hand, was super passive. He was just sitting, and again, just to mark what, take the point, drive the point home, all the substitutions he made were after Italy scored. I'm like, it's basically the manager sitting and watching that, okay, let's let them score and I will do something. I mean, like, that is so passive in a European Cup final. Like, I was surprised. 
even even when he made the substitutions it was uh, i believe it was jordan henderson who came on first it was still defensively minded it was not as if he was bringing uh, saka or uh, foden right up front or sancho right up front he brought in uh, sancho and rashford exclusively for uh, penalties right so at any point during the actual game itself he, his substitutions were a little conservative but then again that's how he's always been you know you talk about jose mourinho and how he's always doing being defensive right but that sometimes the managers have a style and they stick to it but yeah they should have definitely tried to dictate the game a little more they just played into italian's hands for sure so i want to just cycle back because you spoke about you know defensive players like just give the context of who was on the pitch for england and italy basically so you had harry maguire stones and walker for the three central defenders you had luke shaw who's in the form of his life i think after you know what's what he's done in the last year he's continuing that on luke shaw and kieran trippier and you have two brilliant players who are really uh, admire one is calvin phillips from leeds united actually uh, in the midfield and this declan rice right so both of the, so this is basically their midfield come defense and you can see from here on like this team is loaded to put a block right it's basically designed to sit back put a block and maybe counter i think the goal was maybe counter but statistics show that england had zero counter attacks throughout the game so i'm not even like talking about a half here but zero counter attacks throughout the game and you had mason mount and raheem sterling on the wings or as forward however you want to see it and obviously harry kane who was really good in the first half so i think right from the picking of the team like fine you pick the team i i totally with you actually if you want to pick this team sure go ahead you can't be wrong when you pick this team but when you see approximately the 60 minutes i thought mason mount was invisible in this game and that's an opinion yeah as a manager you could have bought jack relish in you could have like rashford you had sancho you had like the forden phil forden phil forden apparently was injured so he's has a niggle that's going on we don't know how serious that is but i i guess he can play because he was selected but you have this variety of offense at your disposal and you don't do anything i mean that kind of broke i was like So just to let you know where my loyalties lie I wanted Italy to win right <laughs> so me too <laughs> I I've, I've been a fan of Italy I'm a big fan of Andre Pirlo and that man has just made me love football so I've always after that I've had a soft corner for Italy but I was still rooting for England to make this a more special game I would say I guess because like you said I knew from half time onwards like a goal is coming we just didn't know from where for Italy but it seems like they were going to build to this game uh i think england were uh, hell bent on uh, looking to not concede uh, and trying to hit hit the counter and as you said the counter never came italy are just too strong at the back too because they have these veterans in the form of kelini and borucci by the way did you enjoy i thoroughly enjoyed uh, kelini's uh, tactical foul at the very end <laughs> where he was saka was getting past him he just pulled him on by his collar it was amazing i thought as as dirty as the play was it was amazing to watch <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean i would call that like that was like a school boy foul right like just pulling someone who is much smaller than younger than you by the collar and just dropping them off i mean i don't know i laughed for a second but then i was like what are you doing and then when you realize like okay you know if he's beat the game is done basically yeah so it was a tactical well thought out foul and that's where experience comes from i guess like you know you make these calls yeah totally so one more thing gotham that i actually wanted to add here was uh, on the topic of a counter you know so even if you're doing a low block or a mid block like they call it like if you think about what was the game plan like 
when you have a block you have to have an out ball right you want to put a ball to somebody and the only out ball here seem to be raheem sterling and the guy is good he's fast but he can ob- almost not do anything when the ball is in the air so he basically needs like a beautiful delivered ball to his feet and then he's like off zipping running like a through ball exactly and i don't know i don't want to sound like an expert who is criticizing the english manager but my heart was crying when they were playing like this i thought they, i thought england should have killed the game in the first 20 minutes and then actually sent the you know put italy under pressure yeah i'm not saying england would have won it but i'm like they should have taken the battle to the uh, english team especially fact that you had 65000 people at your home cheering for you you had an absolute home advantage they said 65000 allowed capacity but reports are saying that you know it was actually almost full the wembley was full you had ticketless people get in barge in and all it's a different topic but when you had such backing playing at home i don't know maybe the players are not going to sleep well i know saka for sure won't yeah i mean i i kind of want to touch on i know you said saka so the game moved on to uh, extra time and there's not much happening in extra time players just look gassed I mean uh, but then some players got Rashford got on uh, made some substitutions at the very end exclusively for penalties very subbed in uh, Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho and I'm sure Saka was also subbed in because of penalties so I'm pretty sure because of the advent of analytics over the last 5 years or so so can I just button Gotham and basically summarize what has happened so far so we had England score in the second minute and they go back on the defensive and then italy comes back in the second half where bonucci who's actually 34 scores after a rebound from actually a very good save yeah. right so now the score is 1-1 it goes into extra time and then we have like the substitutions that gotham mentioned uh, spoke about happening in the 119th minute so absolute last so these substitutions were made in the context of having these players come on and their first touch would actually be the penalty kick which was uh, to be taken so go ahead gotham right so my my point was with the advent of analytics everywhere now the last at least 5 years at a minimum but over over the last decade or so i'm pretty sure uh, england did their homework and they observed these players in training and said hey these are our five best players we'll have harry kane harry maguire will have sancho will have rashford and will have saka take the first five right but then i don't know if the analytics actually consider this is the kind of the beef i have where i think we should find a proper balance between analytics and actual gameplay and game experience because i'm sure the analytics said these are the five best penalty takers in the team right the be training be it in general gameplay over the course of the last season or so but then i don't think analytics take into consideration the pressure the atmosphere the the stage might be too big for some of the players i heard uh, rashford in his statement he said he was little low on confidence as he was taking the penalty he actually said something the very interesting aniket he said in his statement he said uh, he was actually going for that long and slow run up to buy himself some more time so that he can build some more confidence which is very interesting rashford is ready a stutter oh he's missed it too much deliberation He's waiting for Donnarumma to make his move. Donnarumma kind of held his ground, didn't he? He said, "Go on then, pick your pick your side." He's not looking at the ball. It is a difficult skill. So I don't think analytics actually factor in these extra variables. Uh, analytics are really good at some point, but I think at the end of the day, had it been like let's say just campaigners, then you know, imagine Bakke Osaka. You're 19 years old. You're walking in to take that fifth penalty. the whole weight of england is on your shoulders and you have to make it or you're done i think that's it. i don't think the analytics considers that does it it does not right and i think this is where 
a head coach actually steps in because data is unemotional right data is a more matter of fact statement like it depends on you what you do with data like for example you can see data how you want it to you can skew it to how you see things but this is where and this is my beef with Gareth Southgate he's an exceptional guy like very nice person he's brought England to a semi final in the world cup and he's now taken them to a final and you know more power to him in the world cup that's coming in about 15 to 18 months so english team is he's bought he's taken english team to do something they have not done 55 years i give him everything or he has all my respect my only complaint against him was if you see mancini someone who is i would say has a better head over him or more experience you would here is where you would want you know man management and leadership to come in saka is your best penalty taker sure he is you've seen him in training we've not he's never taken a penalty kick in his life in his professional career neither for arsenal neither for england right sure give him give him the second kick give him the first kick give him the third kick you don't put it on a teenager who's taking the first penalty of his professional career in some sense like you might find an you know kick here order to with the under 21 team or something but when it's on this stage in a final i think this is a call that the manager was supposed to make pressure on a 19 year old But now Italy win. And again, I you can nitpick, you can say this is all hindsight. Like if you'd have scored like everything I say is null and void, right? It doesn't matter. But I'd still say that you give the first kick, second kick, maybe first and fifth are the most important kicks so you keep them for your experienced players, second, third, fourth. Cuz even the players and Gautam, I don't know if you've played football. So have you played football when you were younger? Oh, I was I was a very below average football player Anikit. Yeah, so it doesn't matter, right? I didn't represent India, dude. I played for my freaking college. I played for my freaking college team. But the point is like, you know, and this has happened, you're waiting, you're the fifth penalty taker. You're actually seeing everything play. Your mind is basically at that point like just gaming everything that can possibly go right, possibly go wrong. I don't think that was the best move to give a 19-year-old kid. And I want to disagree with a lot of people who said 19-year-old kid shouldn't have taken a kick. at all i don't agree with that i think saka should have and he definitely should have especially given what he's done in training and what the reports say that he was actually really good the point i'm trying to make is that he should have been placed more smartly and that call is actually finally been to be made by the manager but i think having having said all of this i agree with you maybe saka should have taken somewhere between the second and the fourth kick um, but maybe looking at because if you look at harry kane harry kane just placed it perfectly and so did harry maguire uh, so maybe that would have been in hindsight as you said is 2020 so yeah maybe that would have been the right call a shout out to harry maguire's penalty <laughs> yeah what a shot i mean come on that's like textbook like did you see the did you see the camera angle did you see the camera he angle broke the cam- he basically <laughs> broke the camera in the back of the goal right so that was amazing it was yeah. it was a beautiful penalty shot and wow so you know clearly harry maguire stepping up so gareth southgate had a plan he wanted to take his five best kick takers whatever they were so the only so the one problem was saka fifth the other thing i had an issue with was rashford and sancho coming on yeah right before the penalties like louis van gaal had done this i think with uh, the dutch earlier like he bought tim krul on like just for you know uh, mixing things up yes again that's a comparison that later was like a master stroke you know wow and this could have gone that way too like you know rashford sancho comes score england wins but there's a subtlety to that 
and what it is is that a footballer is a guy who's playing on field and is not a keeper is engaging with the ball right so you want to touch you want to feel you want to get some confidence on that ball whereas a goalkeeper is actually diving to save with his hands which is a more natural instinct to do and i felt it was actually a bad idea to have these guys in the 9 119th minute and not because just they take the penalty because football 101 you don't make a substitution when you are defending right and that's exactly what happened he got rashford in and rashford was basically playing right back at that point like you know yes he was going in going in for a throw in and he's an offensive player so you could have actually lost the game by doing something stupid as well so that being a technical textbook argument that i'm making but the other thing was like these guys have coming and they're taking probably the biggest kick of their life yeah and the first kick is first time they touch the ball is on the penalty spot i think that's asking a bit too much of everyone given the fact that Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Kevin De Bruyne, everyone have missed penalties. So it's not an easy thing uh, behind and this is my rant about Gareth Southgate's uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for that but yeah. Also on a positive note, shouts to both of the goalkeepers I think uh, saving those penalties. I think Pickford say especially off of uh, Jorginho, Jorginho is an exceptional uh, penalty taker. So I think to save uh, that penalty was quite something he brought England back to the game because that was they were at the brink right had Jorginho scored it would have been curtains at that point so he came up with a clutch clutch save and then Donnarumma was just uh, he knew what he was doing he was he could see that he was looking at the players he was he was observing how their hips went if hips they're opening up their hips like Jadon Sancho you could see Sancho's opening his hips to go to the goalkeeper's left so I think he read that beautifully and cool as a cucumber and you know so first credit to pickford because i think he went down as one of the heroes who held the fort but lost the battle you know yeah so basically he did everything he could and unfortunately it's a team sport and this happens heartbreak is a part of sport but if you observed the camera angle especially when sancho was taking the penalty or rashford is especially donnarumma covers the goal basically he opens his hand and the next person i remembered was vandesar because when he did that yeah. arms wide open you could see there are two slots on the side that are actually left for you to score and that's freaking scary you know especially if you're a kid youngster and that's your first touch of the game it is freaking intimidating to see donnarumma out there in that goal uh, the beast he is totally he's uh, looks like he's a worthy successor to his uh... namesake uh, jean luigi buffon but he's just 22 dude it's amazing that he's he has such a level head he looks pretty cool under pressure very calm under pressure i think we i know we spoke about this when we were watching the match uh, after he saved he was just walking away as if it was nothing later he said in a statement that he, he thought the match was not over yet otherwise he would have celebrated it <laughs> so he was just walking away thinking that there's still a sudden death going on but uh, of course the italian players came uh, jumping on him so it was very interesting I think another shout out should go to I know we shout, shouted him out a little bit should go to the Italian coach Roberto Mancini to take a side that didn't even make it to the World Cup last time in 2018 to transform that side into his own mold right to he he kind of has a managerial style that is attacking and with a touch of flair to transform an Italian side that has traditionally been defensive minded I mean just think I always think about Gattuso and how he <laughs> played when he was part of the international side right so to transform that and to get all of these creative guys like Insigne and Immobile and Chiesa and Jorginho who just creates all the time from the back he also had to you know combine them with some veteran presence in the form of Chiellini and Bonucci I think he he got everything spot on in this tournament right from the get go they looked like the best side of the tournament and they are champions of Europe 
And the celebrations here are totally deserved. They have completed their Italian job in a superb setting. 100%. And one thing I want to talk about, we spoke about managers. Like what Mancini had, according to me, was a system, a structure in play. So you had Cristiante come in, you had Berardi, you had Bello, Bellotti come in. Yeah. yeah, all of these guys come in and none of them are like offensive, run through the center midfielders, but everyone knew what they were supposed to do in that system they were. And I think this is what has given them their unbeaten run. Like, And if you do a head-to-head comparison with the offense England has and these guys, you know, I would say that Italians were actually lacking in that field. They have a brilliant midfield, but when you talk about the offense that's there and to actually finish it like Immobile has had like the worst I mean he's brilliant in his club but he's had like the worst Euros of his career I guess and with no goals coming in what it actually showed was this manager had a structure in play no matter what quality of the player that was actually coming in the player could actually leverage know what his duty was and actually contribute to the team which I felt lacked because when Marcus Rashford actually came on, he actually went back running to Gareth Southgate to basically ask him what he was supposed to do, which position he was supposed to play. Yeah, and I'm only I'm only guessing that uh, you know Gareth Southgate is going to get stronger and learn his lessons. I hope he yeah, does. Totally. Uh, Southgate, I think, is is a really good man. He's a great man manager. I feel like. I mean, his game experience will probably needs a little more tune-up. I'm saying as if I'm like a mentor to all of these managers, but uh, but I'm sure England has only only seen progress under him. I think I think coaching England is an extremely extremely tough job. It's just a heartless and a thankless job. So to actually get England to a point where they believe in themselves, cut the noise away, they have a great atmosphere. It looks like by all accounts around the team itself, everybody's unselfish. There's no egos. There's no, you know, star player versus star player and who is getting in, who is getting out. I think they have, he's forged a really, really good atmosphere around the team. And I'm pretty sure they're going to, I think he's run out of his contract, but I'm pretty sure they're going to renew him until at least, at least the next World Cup. So it'll be great. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, England had an easy road to the finals of this tournament compared to the other teams, but hey, we have to still beat the opposition that is in front of you. So there's really, I think there's a really good tournament for England. I mean, heartbreak, coming home, not coming home and all of that. I think uh, Bonucci is uh, shouting to the camera that says Cup is going to Rome, right? This is what you're shouting. It, it's yeah. coming to Rome. It's coming to Rome! It's coming to Rome! So that was really right. funny. That was one of the That's a good moments of the play. tournament for me. Yeah, so that was that was really good to see, and I think we should also point out that there's a lot of uh, hooliganism going on uh, outside the Wembley Stadium before the game, during the game, a um, lot of fans barging in, breaking the security cordons. Uh, I think did not help that the game started a little late for England, but that shouldn't be an excuse because I think they all the accounts were all of them were saying that. Uh, Everybody was drinking from the morning and that's no excuse to do anything. That is just abhorrent. Just abhorrent. No, for sure. And there was videos, right, that uh, you could see on the internet where these uh, yes stewards who were given an orange bib being paid, unfortunately, minimum wage. Like one of them, actually, three of them manning about 150 people. You know, what do you ex? I mean, you can't blame the stewards at this point. Like these guys pushing, being rowdy. And UEFA actually denied it that there was any ticketless fans actually entering into Wembley. And then the Guardian, ESPN and other agencies actually uh, vetted the fact that they were on ground and they saw videos and they had uh, information that there were ticketless fans who were actually being rowdy in the stadium. So all that happened. 
So this penalty loss, unfortunately, has also triggered a point that I wanted to touch Gautam, which was extremely sad about the abuse Rashford, Sancho and Saka are getting. And I feel so bad for three of them because three of them are extremely young. Saka still in his teens, right? Yeah. And I'm sure he's not, I'm 100% sure he's not slept. Yeah. You know, missing the penalty kick, the way things played out. Oh boy, I, I just... My heart cries out for people who are, you know, who've put on... So there is news. I don't know what the exact details are, but there has been racial abuse on the internet and people have been... UFI has come out talking about it. Yeah. I mean, as sad as it is, it is completely expected. You know, as soon as there's people commenting on Twitter, as soon as uh, Saka missed the penalty and England lost, it was expected that they would be racially abused. We are at a stage now in the social media world where all of these anonymous accounts are going to go at you and use all kinds of racial slurs against you because it's it's sad, but at the same time, it's expected. I don't know what anybody can do. I, I'm, I mean, Twitter can say we are banning those people, but they can still create some other burner accounts and come back and do the same thing over and over again. So I don't see an end in sight, but then... Shouts to Rashford and Sanjay and all these guys. Rashford is just an exceptional man in general. I saw him put out a statement that says, hey, what has happened has happened and I'm sorry for what happened. And he's just taking it in his stride like he has to. I mean, there's no way. What are these players going to do? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, this bunch of English players are actually brilliant. And I genuinely like them because previous England players were like star-studded teams. They were brilliant on paper. They almost always won everything on paper, right? So before they went into tournaments, they had, everything was, you know, taken by England. But this is one team, humble folks. You have Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, the work he's been doing for hunger among school children, just outstanding. So it's a big shout out. And all of these guys are kids, you know, like Saka is 19 year old. And these guys have taken social responsibility, the humbleness of it. So... I 100% agree and I should put my hand up when this comes because I'm not a fan of Gareth Southgate, right? I don't think he's a great manager. We'll come back to that later. But the the culture he's built on and, you know, the humility this team possesses, I think that comes from the top. So that's a very big shout out. And like you said, the atmosphere is created for England Yeah, is excellent. And that's a shout out to Gareth Southgate because he's doing one part of his job very well. Totally. Um. I think the Euro as a whole has been a really exciting tournament for me. I I personally picked Belgium to go all the way. I actually had a bet on it with some of my friends and sadly, the Italians had other ideas. But it was a thoroughly enjoying, enjoyable tournament. I love the Euros. I just love international football competition. So I think Euro as a whole was, uh, for me at least, personally was a really good uh, change of pace from uh, Premier League and uh, La Liga and all these leagues in general. But I think they'll probably go away with... Uh, or move away from the multiple city hosting uh, this tournament, I think it's just dumb idea. You know, for people, for, for teams to travel from Baku to Wembley, it's how many hours, thousands of miles and that takes a toll on your body, I think. I mean, on paper, it sounds like a great idea that we can have all these European cities uh, host this one tournament, but it's just practically, it's just seemed impossible. Yeah, and I wanted to just do one shout out for this past one and a half year. Like these qualifiers for the Euros started at a time when the world was normal, right? It was, we didn't ever think, I think the world never thought that they would be social distancing. And again, I want to let the viewers know, this was supposed to be Euro 2020, which was actually delayed and played a year later. So it has been, I think, a crazy year for anyone and everyone on planet Earth. And if there's someone beyond, I don't know who's in space. But yeah, it's been a crazy year and 
uh, I think sports brings us all together. And I, I love that aspect of uh, sport. And Euro was the one big football tournament. Obviously, there was Champions League, but this is something I was actually really looking forward to. Awesome. Uh, with that being said, I think we've, we've covered everything with that we wanted to on the Euros. I hope we did a decent job on our first podcast, Aniket, but we'll let the listeners write into us to see uh, what they think of. Please, guys, do write to us at contact at newslaundry.com with the NL playoffs uh, as the subject so that the email comes to us. Also, thanks to producer Amin, by the way, who is uh, producing this podcast. But uh, before we leave, we'll, we are going to follow the Hafta line and uh, try to leave you with some recommendations. So, Aniket, I know you have a few. Yeah, so recommendations you're talking about football, I wanted to recommend uh, a book. Uh, and the book is called Leading, and it's by Sir Alex Ferguson. So, it's a book on management and his time at Man United. And it's about a few lectures he gives on management. Basically, he talks about football, but the context can be placed in, you know, business and general and how to be a good leader and stuff. So I found that book very interesting. Uh, it's an interesting read. So that would be one recommendation from my end. And then another is a Wall Street Journal piece that basically talks about how Japan cannot come winning out of the Olympics. So it's the cost that is there and how expensive it is so it apparently it costs 16.5 billion dollars to host the uh, olympics and if they actually uh, cancelled it sorry it would cost 16.5 billion but if the covid pandemic would uh, spread or get worse it would be even more expensive so it's a nice uh, it's a nice article on how the prime minister of japan is actually under pressure to cancel these games and how they're trying to navigate this awesome i have a couple of recommendations the first one is i know we spoke about the wimbledon finals earlier so apparently the Wimbledon final was what? July 11th is when it happened. So exactly 20 years ago to the day on July 11th, uh, 2001, uh, there was this guy called Goran Evadisovic who was given the wild card to enter the Wimbledon uh, championships. And he was the first and still the only player to win the whole tournament on a wild card entry. Uh, so I recommend this uh, video that you need to watch. It will be in the show notes as well. Uh, as to how he won the the Wimbledon Championships that year. It was kind of amazing. It was a weird tournament that year, uh, Aniket. It was the tournament when uh, Federer beat Sampras in the fourth round. He upset Sampras. A lot of upsets that year. Uh, the Wimbledon uh, final went on. It went into a Monday because there were a lot of weather delays. And even the switch beat uh, Patrick Rafter on, on a... I think they called it People's Monday. It was a wild crowd. It was very unlike a typical uh, Wimbledon crowd. So check that out. And the other one is I'm going to recommend a podcast episode by Jared Kimber, uh, who's a cricket writer. He has a podcast called The Red Inker. He had a podcast about two hours of Sachin and Azhar in Cape Town. It's about a partnership uh, in Cape Town that happened between Azhar and uh, Sachin, who when India was, I think, 58 for five or something, and then they came out and just counter-attacked for 40 straight overs. They put on, I think, 220-odd run partnership. It's kind of an amazing sequence of play that does not get a lot of publicity. So, Abhishek Mukherjee, had a, he's a writer who had a book, especially on this partnership. So, definitely check that out. Uh, before we take leave, I would like to tell the audience to subscribe to News Laundry. Yes. So, do your job, pay to keep news free because your voices need to be heard. Your voices are as important as ours. So, go ahead and help News Laundry. Absolutely. Go to uh, newslaundry.com and hit that subscribe button. Uh, there are a number of options where you can uh, subscribe to a fixed amount of time, six months, one year. So there are all kinds of options that you can look at. So please do visit our site, newslaundry.com and please hit that subscribe button. 
All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.